Uh, I also do enjoy being able to create an environment where everybody can be successful and where I can stand back and see that light bulb go off and the students Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're at. This is What's New in Adapted Physical Education. I'm Scott McDamara, and I'm here with Brad Wiener today. All right, hello world, and Brad is here from Maryland, and he's hanging out with us today, and he's going to talk to us about what is adapted physical education, some of the different associations he's in, and also inclusion in the PE setting for some of our friends with disabilities. And uh, we're really, really honored to have Brad here today because Brad is a National Adaptive Physical Education Teacher of the Year, uh, 2013 from AFERT. And really, really excited to have him. He's a public speaker. He travels around uh, talking about adaptive physical education and a lot of different topics that go with that. He's created his own assessment tools for early education and early childhood education and severe and multi-disabled um, uh, children. Is that correct? This is correct, yes. So really excited to have someone so knowledgeable uh, be on the, the show. Thank you for all the responses I'm getting online. Uh, it's been a really great pleasure so far. So Brad, um, while we have you here, uh, the first thing I want to ask you is just how did you get into the field of adapted physical education? Uh, I was lucky that when I was attending SUNY Cortland up in New York, uh, I met this uh, I met this guy that was also going through the physical education field, and his name is Tom Moran. And Tom and I became really good friends. He uh, started a soccer clinic called Just for Kicks for Students with Disabilities. And my interest of being in soccer and kids, I got involved with this clinic. And over time, he and I built a bond. And I got a lot of great opportunities to uh, adapt on the spot and work with students with disabilities. And it just kind of led me in the direction of getting my master's in adaptive physical education and getting the job into adaptive physical education. So I uh, tip my hat to Tom Moran for, for being there and kind of giving me that, that opportunity to get involved in that soccer clinic. So Brad, uh, let's start with talking about uh, the National Consortium NCPEID. And what does that stand for, Brad? The National Consortium for Physical Education for Individuals with Disabilities. Okay. So what is, um, in, in your association with them, you are the vice president? Correct. Okay. So what is this association and, uh, you know, what can it do for uh, an APE teacher? Well, it's, it's currently the only organization with the sole mission to promote research, uh, professional preparation, service delivery, and advocacy for physical education for individuals with disabilities. Uh, the organization is made up of higher educational professionals, in-service and pre-service teachers. The organization partners with Shape America and other related national organizations to educate state and national government officials about adaptive physical education 
and the major benefits that affect that affect the youth and adults with disabilities and injured veterans. So members of the organization uh, often write letters to the Office of Civil Rights for clarification on the meaning of the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. Uh, these clarification letters can be used to promote appropriate service delivery throughout the country. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the organization also monitors the discussion of current bills and the, the development of acts. NCPID is really there to advocate for adaptive physical education. How, now, if I was, uh, you know, an APE teacher and, you know, sometimes those clarifications when we're working with other staff, maybe special education teachers or administrators that might not understand the role or the laws for adaptive physical education, um, and those letters help to clarify them, how would I find out about those letters if I, or how would I attain those letters from the consortium? The letters are uh, always published through the Office of Civil Rights, so they are online publicly, but you can go to the NCPID website, which is www.ncpeid.org, and those letters have been posted on the website. And do you have any advice on like how someone should go about giving those letters and not coming off too abrasive? If I was in a situation where I knew that I would be able to use these letters to my benefit, I would probably use them prior to any situation coming up. Once I find out about these letters, I'd print them out and I would take them to my administrators or higher-ups and let them know that uh, these clarification letters have come out and just pass it by putting it in their mailbox uh, in a way of just providing information. If you do it per prior to any situation coming up, that is uh, a less aggressive manner. They, they are already aware of the the clarification. If there is an issue where uh, you're already in a situation where there is a situation, I would probably use the letters again by passing it through, letting them read it, giving them some time, and then going to try to discuss with them. What did, And by asking questions, what did you think of that letter that uh, o OCR just provided for clarification? Mm -hmm. and sit down with a discussion, allowing them to talk, listening to what they have to say, um, maybe taking some time to get my thoughts together and then coming back instead of trying to do it all in one rush. I know I've been, as a, as a young teacher, a sometimes even a little bit maybe um, upset when they're not hearing you right away, and I think it can definitely lead you to be like, why don't you get this and, you know, being that over, maybe a little aggressive on it and then them getting really defensive. So it sounds like providing it in that way uh, is a really good strategy. Right. I find uh, I've been more successful with understanding that to get to my goal, I should be patient and uh, strategically plan prior to go talking to somebody so that I could be clear of mind and understand where I'm going to get and how I'm going to get there without them feeling like I'm being aggressive and taking a step back. So uh, in NCPE, ID, what is your role exactly? What, what do you do as the vice president? 
My main role as the vice president is to set up the national conference, and the national conference is always set in July. Traditionally or historically, for the past few years, it has been in the D.C. metro area, but this can change in the future. So my role is to set up that annual conference. I also play a role in attending the, the monthly meetings and having a role in the organizational piece of um, when proposals are coming through for uh, presenting at the annual conference or when we have to go through elections. I'm constantly engaged with the membership and providing them information. You know, how, how did you become involved with this organization? And then how would someone else do that? I found out about the organization, and because I like to continue my own education, I decided to become a member with really not knowing too much about the organization itself at the time. But I became a member. I attended the annual conferences. I sat in the audience. And as a young professional, sitting next to some people that I have high respect for, I was reading their books in colleges, and it was just kind of like your heroes. You're surrounded by your heroes just sitting there. And then I got the opportunity to interact with the, these great minds in the field, and they really energized me and you know supported me throughout my career. So just by doing that, I kind of landed myself in a, a leadership role. Wow. And, and then what would your advice be if someone you know, wanted to get involved, you know, and I know there's different levels of involvement. Not everyone is going to be the vice president. And so what, you know, what are those different levels of involvement? And then how does someone who, you know, you, you're somewhat lucky you live in Maryland. So I think only a, a, a quick trip to um, a day trip to uh, Washington, D.C., which is where you usually are meeting for the conferences. And so if someone was in Michigan or Texas, how would they become involved with the association? And then, you know, what are those different levels? Right. So at the minimum, somebody should become a member because then you're receiving the emails. You're receiving when a, a letter of clarification is developed, you receive that information. So you're staying current with the trends that are happening just solely by being a member. Uh and you don't necessarily have to get to the conference. Where it would be great to get to the conference, um, the website then puts the presentations online. So again, it's about uh, continuing your education, staying current in the field. Simply by being a member of paying a membership fee, and at the same time, you are now provided access that may be a little bit easier to connect with other professionals in the field. Again, it may not be in person, but you may uh, be able to connect with them. If you have a question, you can send a question to the organization and they'll respond to you, or somebody that has a, a great depth and a background in your question will then contact you. And so it really provides a great support to somebody um, and staying current and just keeping that education going. 
and that would be if somebody can't make it to the annual conference. But it also provides you a voice. Mm -hmm. So if for some reason uh, you're getting all this information and, and you may not have an agreement or you may feel like the organizations may benefit by going a different route, you now have a voice to where you can say, you know, I think these are my feelings or this is my thought because of this. Where if you weren't a member, you didn't have a voice in the bigger picture of adaptive physical education at a national level. Which, you know, compounds down to your level in the school district. Because if you can support the national level, the national level will go down to the, the county wide or the state and then come back to you. So you're supporting yourself to get the voice. I, I was able to make it... Um... I'd say about two years ago to the conference, and what I really liked about the conference was the, the different, it was very concentrated um, group of people, uh, and but it was also, like you said, there was people at the national level, state level, and at that local level, all kind of um, mingling together and giving their ideas, because sometimes things can get lost from that local level to the federal level, and it was a really cool experience, and the conferences I saw were really um, strong and interesting. We had uh, an individual this year who was uh, an adapted physical educator in the public schools, and she had lots of issues where her uh, county and the special education program within her school district um, was giving her a lot of issues because they didn't feel they didn't see adaptive physical education as a direct service, weren't providing a lot of funding or a lot of support to her. Came to the conference and she was able to sit down with a lot of different professionals and express her challenges and get a lot of support. She then goes back to her state and just because she's going back to her state, she still has that support. She, she received um, lots of good good ideas at the conference, but at the same time, she can go back to the state and now connect with those same people and continue to get support. So for her, it was a great benefit. And it sounds like it can be a benefit for you know a, a variety of different teachers in different positions. All right, well, we're going to um, go from uh, the consortium and we're going to talk about uh, inclusion and what that means for a PE teacher, for an AP teacher. Uh, and maybe some of the different obstacles that could be with inclusion. Inclusion is a big word, and it's a um, it's a buzzword, and it can be. I've heard it used in a lot of different contexts, not all, only in education too. I hear about inclusive culture a lot, and so let's just take PE and education out of that for a second. What does inclusive culture mean to you, Brad? An inclusive culture is uh, a welcoming environment to all students where individuals recognize his or her importance as a member of the community and has the opportunity to be challenged and successful. Uh, there is um, another buzzword, at least in Maryland, is equity and uh, having equitable practices. So everybody that enters your room feels that they are uh, as important as everybody else in their classroom and has the opportunity to be successful. 
Okay. And with PE, um, how does that, what, what is an inclusive culture in PE, in a, in a physical education class where kids are demonstrating their physical abilities? With, within any educational classroom, students are coming with uh, varying ability levels. And so within physical education, uh, my idea is to create an environment, design an environment that allows for each varying level to be, again, challenged and successful. This may be having lots of different stations or maybe creating uh, peer helpers and then um, peer helpers. It, it allows for, um, again, welcoming success. Okay. Um, have you created that in your class, do you think? Do you, do you feel that you've created an inclusive culture in your class? I do. Uh, I strive to promote equity, and I'm going to use that word equity again because that is a big word, big buzzword in Maryland. Um, and I, I strive to promote equity by welcoming each student at the door and providing each student the same opportunity to voice their thoughts. Designing an environment that is uh, scaffold for varying ability levels. Uh, students are taught to be peer helpers, but also listeners. Mm -hmm. um, the, the main thing is, from the very beginning of the, each year, I work on developing a culture of respect for others and the respect for unique attributes. Um, this is a common thread throughout each class. I really focus on respect and respecting unique attributes. How is that accomplished? I hear things like that all the time, you know, developing respect in, in your class. But, you know, how is that done? Uh, I sit them down in the beginning of the year, so I have to give time during class. I have to do a lot of planning prior and think about how I want to do this and then give time in the beginning of the year uh, during class. I have um, behavior, positive behavior interventions where the class as a group can earn um, what I would call the mascot ticket. So it may be like panda paw tickets or whatever the mascot of the school is. And on the tickets, there are four respectful or four levels of um, behaviors that they would have to meet. And if the class as a whole meets those four criteria each class, they would get one of these tickets. At the same time, the class may not be uh, earning a ticket, but individual students may be doing on task. And so individual students can also earn their own tickets. If a class earns uh, a certain number of tickets, they get something. They get a reward after that certain number. I usually do 10 tickets. So ideally, if they were showing these behaviors um, for one quarter, uh, or for if they got, if they showed the behaviors every class, then one time each quarter, they would be able to get a reward. 
Um, if an individual was to get 10 tickets for themselves, they would get to, at a young age, I'm working with a lot of elementary age students, they would be able to be a teacher helper for a class. And so putting more responsibility onto them or some other type of reward. I, I have a, a question about that um, specifically with the token economy for good behavior. If you have a student that maybe has some issues or has had problems in the past with following directions, you know, may or may not have an IEP that goes along with that. I know that myself, when I've had those students, you like to give them that extra ticket or two when they're, you know, following directions. Do you ever have issues with the other kids seeing that and getting upset that maybe this student who maybe struggles with following directions and staying on task is getting that extra praise and maybe they're not? What I, I mean, there are lots of different situations. There are students that don't necessarily have um, identified disability for their emotional or social state, but, you know, maybe more rebellious against it. For those students, I often start by having uh, one-to-one conversations off to the side after the class is already engaged. I don't address it aggressively. Uh, I ask, oftentimes I ask for their input. I want to know if they know why they may have behaved the way that they behaved, Uh, and then... Could, and then I think to myself, could I make any changes that could, in the future, support this individual or provide the individual with a, a different means of action versus the what is deemed inappropriate? And it's always their behavior that we're talking about. And I, after each conversation, I tell them, we were discussing your behavior that may have been inappropriate. This is not... A, about you as, this is not a reflection of you as an individual. So I want them to leave that conversation understanding that I still like them, we're still buddies, we just had to discuss their behavior. And that it's the behavior that we're discussing and the behavior that I may not like, but not them. I am all, I I like them. Um, So it's those discussions. And if a student does need a little bit more support, maybe I will go to the educational team because I'm not there by myself. There's a team of other people I can talk to. Go to the classroom teacher. How are they addressing it in the classroom? And then if they are addressing it in the classroom, can I take that philosophy or that strategy and utilize it into my room? Or if there is nothing happening, can we create a behavior plan where we can start to give this student some support? And so it's not necessarily me giving them that same token because that would be me lowering the standards that I've placed upon everybody else, but maybe me keeping that standard for the class, trying to get the student to reach that standard, but also providing a little extra supports on the side. Yeah, that, that's, a, yeah, that, that's, that's a great um, idea to create that inclusive culture. I, I've heard you say two or three times now um, – listening to the kids, giving them a voice. Um, You know, how do you do that? And then what does that do for that inclusive environment? In the very beginning of the year, 
again, uh, first or second class, I tell them that they are important people um, and that we are going, I need to respect them just as much as I'm asking them to respect me. If they have a, a concern, I, I want them to address it to me in a respectful manner and that they, again, I go with telling them that they are important. It's important that I learn their names because they are important. And I tell them this. I need to, I have a lot of names I need to learn. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to ask that you give me support. But it, it is important that I learn your name because you are important. And right from the beginning, I tell them that they're important. I tell them how we're going to, you know, if they have an issue or if they want to say something, I have a voice in. I can give it to somebody and they can voice it, and if they're holding it, then everybody else is respectful of listening. At the same time, if somebody does not have the voice stick and they want to voice something, they can raise their hand. But that what they have to say, what everybody has to say, is important. And we are going to be respectful of everybody and what they have to say. So what are some of the obstacles to creating an inclusive environment? Every student kind of comes uh, with different backgrounds and a different unique culture. Sometimes their previous experiences that they come to the class with can create an obstacle. And that's something that, again, we start, I start in the beginning of the year to, to work with, understanding respect for everybody. Um, but like I've been mentioning, this also takes time for pre-planning, for planning for the lesson. You have to put more planning into how you're going to do it. You can't just expect to go into a lesson and say uh, this is going to be an inclusive culture. It's not going to happen like that. It happens over time. Uh, you also have to take time during class and during your planning. Where can I build in times during class where I can discuss this and work it into what my curricular objectives are for that class? And then, like I said, students may also uh, at first, rebel, because this is uh, possibly a culturally different environmental mentality, and because of that, they may at first rebel. Um, you may see at first a higher level of cultural insensitivity, but that's why we have to put the time in and have those deep conversations. I want to just ask you a few more questions, maybe more broadly. Um, about you and about the field of adaptive physical education. Now, what do you see as the biggest obstacle for an adaptive physical education teacher? Uh, this may be the lack of understanding from administrators and higher-ups, which often leads to lack of support financially or uh, the structure of your program. You often hear a lot of programs where you're going to have 40 to 60 plus students, and it's inclusive, I put that um, lightly, because what they do is they take students without disabilities and students with disabilities and they put them in this room, and they don't think about the educational aspect of it. And that is a major obstacle for a lot of adaptive physical educators. If I was a classroom teacher, they may put 30 students in, which is a, a lot, but they take consideration of students with disabilities a 
lot more where you get you may have a resource room or a special educator that comes in and supports you throughout the day. And that is not necessarily how things are run in the adaptive PE world. So that is one of the major obstacles. Okay. In talking about um, the consortium uh, as a resource might be a really good way for someone to maybe try to resolve that obstacle and using some of those letters that we talked about earlier as well um, of clarification of the importance of it and the law for it could be some, some ways that they could maybe try to resolve that conflict. Right, and also giving yourself a voice to where if you have an issue, you can now go to this national organization, share your issue, and then as a national organization, maybe a new letter needs to be written. You know, how can you, if you would address it at a national level, again, it can come back and support you at your local level. So, Brad, what is your favorite part of the job? You know, it's not even really a competition. It's the students. The students make the job. It's why you do it. It's what makes you feel good when you leave the day. Uh, I, I love being around my students. And I, I yeah, I, I just love being around the students. Uh, I also do enjoy being able to create an environment where everybody can be successful and where I can stand back and see that light bulb go off and the students know that they got it. And I feel like I create the environment for it. I have fun creating different environments, creative environments, so that they can be successful. Now, uh, as teachers, a lot of times we like to, we always have, um, you know, kids doing funny things or funny things happen or, you know, really inspirational things happen. And we love telling each other stories about it. What is your best story about being on the job? You know, kids say uh, the funniest things and... You know, we have a lot of fun. It, it's it's really, it gets silly sometimes. But I think my best story that I, I find myself often telling people is one where, it's not one of the silly stories, but it's one where I was working with a three-year-old and for a period of months, I was getting her to enhance her, her static balance, her standing balance. She finally got it and then was able to take a step or two forward. And so I got to see her first steps. And for me, that was uh, one of the greatest feelings that I've had in a job, being able to see her take her first steps. And I got it, I, I had it on video, and I was able to share it with the parents. And to, to see the parents now be able to take this home and, and, and see their child take the first steps that, that, to me, that was the, that's the, the best story for me. And I can go back at that video and, and see how much concentration she's getting and, and how she was really focused on, on taking that balance and taking the first step. So great story for great story, great feeling. That, that is a powerful story. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that made you feel wonderful. Um, and what a great thing to give to the parents, too. Well, Brad, thank you so much for joining us uh, for this interview. Um, it's been a pleasure to have you here and have all the knowledge and experience that you have and giving it to us for the day. And we really, really appreciate it. Thank you so, so much. And You know, I've been listening to your previous podcast and I've been enjoying them. I've had a lot of fun 
being part of the podcast, and uh, I look forward to the direction that you can take this and listening to, to other people and the interviews. It's it's really a great thing for Adaptive PE and uh, the teachers throughout the country. So well, thank you. Thank you. Well, Brad, thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for everything. And this is us signing off. So everyone, I hope you have a great day, a great week. And um, please keep the comments and the ideas coming. Uh, we're really enjoying that. So have a great day.